Hey everyone, welcome to season four of It's Like This, Conversations with Laura Seifert. We're so grateful that you are tuning in and I cannot believe we are in our fourth season. I thought it was season three. Most of all of these recordings I did and then realized, oh my goodness, time is flying by. And we're so grateful you are flying with us. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this season as much as I have. Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast episode of It's Like This, Conversations with Laura Seifert. Today, I get to visit with a good friend of mine, Dave Davis. Dave and I met, I don't know, Dave, when did we meet? In 01? 2000? 2001? 2000. We were both both 10 years old, which is crazy. Um, No, we both actually served on a church staff together for about five years. And Dave's wife, Margie, is one of my dearest friends. And Dave and I have stayed connected. He lives in Chicago and we live in Friendswood. We no longer even live in the same town where we met. But we served in ministry at a big church together for several years and just became good friends. Dave is still a pastor at heart, even though he started and leads a consulting group called the Ashland Group. And the reason I wanted to talk with you today, Dave, is... I've watched Dave's faith and his walk with the Lord morph. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I've just watched Dave move in his relationship with the Lord in a way that has resonated with me. And what I'm watching happen in our culture since COVID especially is I'm watching a lot of people need to morph and change and move in their relationship and their faith but don't know how to do it. And so this word has popped up a lot. You've probably heard it called deconstruction. And the connection I'm hearing with deconstruction, Dave, and I'm going to give Dave a second in just a second to talk, speak into this. But the reason I wanted to bring Dave along today is because as I hear this word in the culture in which I live, I'm still in the South, I'm in Texas, Dave's in the Midwest, but it's, it has a real negative connotation. And deconstruction, really, what I've heard it described and defined to be is that you're walking away from your faith, you're leaving the faith, you're leaving Jesus, and it's terrible. But I can tell you in my own heart and life, in the last three years, something has occurred in my life, and I don't know if it's deconstruction or what, but the short of it, and we'll get in and talk about it in more depth in a second, but the short of it, I would say is that a lot of things in my life have become increasingly gray. Things that used to be really, really clear for me are increasingly gray. And at first that began to scare me. But what has become clearer and clearer and clearer is the person of Jesus, who he is, how he loves me, how he loves others. And that has been very, very freeing. And so I wanted to bring Dave on today because I think his life and his faith journey has been similar. I think he's um, it's while it's not maybe the same, I think it's been a little bit similar. And so we've had some great discussions that have been very helpful to me. And so I wanted to bring him on. So Dave, before we jump in, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And, and you know, our friendship means the world to me. And I'm, I'm grateful that it has survived all these years <laughs> and uh, all the various transitions and mutations of our life. But yeah, so a number of years ago, uh, I started along with my wife Margie. We started this consulting group called the Ashland Group, 
it was in an effort to take all that I have learned over the years around uh, operations and finance and ministry and sort of put them all together in a space that would help uh, emerging leaders, new leaders, stuck leaders um, navigate their not-for-profit or church uh, church world. I did that all at the same time that I was still being a full-time pastor. Uh, I started when you and I first met as mm -hmm. a student ministries pastor. I then became a uh, worshiping creative arts um, you know, organized person in a mm -hmm. sea of creatives. And then I became uh, an executive pastor where I, I was an executive pastor at the church that we both served at in Texas. And then I moved to Chicago to be executive pastor at a, at a, at a young, uh, uh, an established church, but a smaller church. Um, and in the process of that, uh, moved into a co-lead pastor role. Um, and I left about two years ago, left the ministry um, that particular ministry and really full-time pastoral work uh, to do this consulting work more full-time. That's awesome. And and as you moved, let's let's jump into as God has led you down this journey, even through your career, I think, would you agree he's led you in a journey of faith too that has morphed and taken on a different, I don't even know what we would, what would you say, Dave, in the last 10 years, your faith has has it yeah, shifted? My, my, oh, yeah. 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 I, well, I would say my theology has shifted. My faith has not shifted. My faith has remained uh, incredibly strong. Mm. Um, my theology, my worldview, uh, particularly around Capital C Church, that has definitely shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that shifting took place while I was leading a church as well as helping other leaders lead their church which made for a fairly lonely experience, mm -hmm. uh, except that I had a partner in ministry, um, both in my spouse and in the co-lead pastor that I was sharing that title with, who gave me the space to, you know, to navigate that in my, in my own way and gave me the freedom to question. And I think my, if you want to call it deconstruction, we can deconstruction today has sort of a, a, a bad name attached uh -huh. to it. Yeah. And I think that's primarily because, people stay in their deconstruction and don't actually reconstruct. So mm. what is really the purpose of that deconstruction if you're not going to reconstruct in some way? Um, yeah, so that true. began uh, as I left Texas. Um, and it began, began out of a place of pain and disillusionment mm. um, and hurt. And so, um, and just to like, I just got to the point where I was, I just thought to myself, I cannot help another person build a giant thing and call it church. I just couldn't do that mm. anymore. And I'm good at it. Um, I have been good at it. I continue to help people do their thing, but I couldn't do that as my primary focus anymore. And so uh, I left to join a, a much smaller congregation that felt a little bit more in line with where I was at the time. You know, what's interesting when you say it started from a place of pain and disillusionment, I would say in my own life, for me, it this I don't even know what to call it either. That's why those of you that are listening, I hope that you can connect and relate to this because I find what tends to happen is internally disillusionment or pain or confusion begins and it can be coming from different angles. For me, it happened in COVID when I felt like our world was just 
becoming increasingly divided. Racial tensions were at an all-time high in my lifetime that I'd ever seen. And it just, everything below me, the ground below me felt like it was shifting and giving way. And therefore, it felt in the initial stages of like my faith was giving way because the things that I culturally had believed and had hung on to um, were just, it felt like they were unraveling. And I want to ask you if, the, if you felt this way too, Dave, it felt as if it were happening to me and I were not driving the bus, that I was not bringing this about in my life. It felt like I can't stop this even if I want to and I want to because it was so uncomfortable to begin mm-hmm. to ask questions in ways I'd never asked before, th- questions I'd never asked before. My theology was super sound and I had pat good s- solid answers for everything. And those answers were not holding up. Yeah, that that's a great way to describe it. And the idea of your the theology or the the frame, the scaffolding in which you had built your faith around giving way, that is the same mm-hmm. way that I have described it. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I think everybody hits a crisis of faith, I agree. whether it's in COVID or whether it was, you know, so at some point, everybody hits a crisis of faith where the thing that they were given as a young person or as a new follower of Jesus, the thing that they were given gives way. Yeah. It's, it's no, no longer enough to sustain. The vast majority of people just double down on certitude. Mm-hmm. They just go the Bible told me so, or so-and-so pastor told me so, and this is it, and this is the truth. Mm-hmm. They they buy into the systematized theology that um, seminaries have been dishing out for decades, and, and they just double down on, I know what I know what I know. Yeah. A smaller percentage of people push through mm-hmm. and embrace the, the mystical side of their, of their life or, or the mystical nature of scripture, which if, if I look at the New Testament, if I look at the Jesus of the New Testament, the historical Jesus, it's meant to be a mystery. Yeah, We're not meant to fully understood the, the breadth and width and magnitude of what it means to be mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, and so, uh, so we, we lean, we lean in and, and in my journey, the rebuilding of that, the reconstructing of my faith, uh, was really about leaning into the mystery, just mm. very comfortable with, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that yes. question. I just know what it means and feels like to be loved by Jesus. And I'm pretty clear that I'm supposed to replicate that in the world. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And I'm not going to be certain about all the other things. And yeah. that was incredibly freeing. Yes. It was, and it, 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 it illuminated and expanded my faith in a way that allowed me to put the pieces back together. Ah, uh, so well said. And I would say that's been my situation as well. In the beginning, when things aren't holding up and, and, you know, pillars on which I, you know, stood on my faith began to give way, what I've started to realize what's happened is I've tried to make sense of it was it felt like there were things that I were, you, you use the term you were given. And I think that's true. I grew up in a particular area. Of, I've grown up in Texas. I'm a native Texan. And I grew up within a particular um, part of Christianity, I would say, a very, very conservative, fundamental type of belief system that's that's not bad. It just was one that I realized there were so many things that I was hunkered down and believing that were beginning to rattle belief beneath me. And the scary part of that was 
I didn't know what was what. I thought, is that my faith giving way? Or is that some methodologies that are giving way, some ways to approach scripture, some ways to approach people that are giving way? I couldn't make sense of it. I just knew that everything was rattling and I didn't know what was going to fall by the wayside and what was going to stick. And the reason I wanted to do this podcast with you, Dave, is because on top of that being scary in and of itself in my own life, that happening, and I'm sure you felt this in your own life, it's new, it's uncertain, you don't know where it's going, you don't know where you're going to land. On top of that, you don't feel safe to share that with those many, with that many people that are in your family of faith because you don't know how they're going to respond if they can handle your own deconstruction, if you will, or whatever that means. Um, unraveling is what I used for my own life is I feel like I'm unraveling and I cannot stop this even if I wanted to. So I wanted to talk about it today because I don't want it to be scary in the sense of um, for people that are walking through it and feel like they can't really talk about it. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your faith. I, my, Like you, Dave, I feel like my faith is stronger than it ever has been. Well, I think I think a lot of people do actually lose their faith in the journey. And that's yeah. that's the differential yeah, that's between like, you know, I'm deconstructing and then I'm going to reconstruct. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just get very stuck in that that downward, that unraveling. Okay, that's uh, and, and they get to the end of that and they go, um, I'm I'm homeless. I have no tribe. I have I really don't have anything in which I'm moored to. Uh, and, and I'm going to give up on all of it. And that's, that's that's sad, sad to me. Yes, that is so sad. And I think speak to what, why do we, why does that happen? I think it happens for a layered, a bunch of layered reasons. But one of the things I'm seeing, and I want to hear what you think about it too, is folks that tend to their deconstruction becomes more of a derailing is when you don't have anyone to talk to about it. I had, I've had my husband, Jason, was has been so, so gracious and has just walked with me and listened to me. I have dear friends that have just been safe places to hold that space for me, of not try to fix it, not. but I've had people, and I've also had spiritual mentors and guides that have walked with me. Um, and so I think without that, there is a good chance that you just kind of circle the drain and never leave it. What was helpful for yeah. you? Yeah, I, I would. For me, I would say the thing that was most helpful was you know having a kind of a safe environment in which in which to do that, right? So, um, I would say I would say the congregation that I served at the time was aware that my thoughts were likely different than some of their thoughts, mm-hmm. my opinions slightly different than some of their opinions, but I wasn't overly transparent with my deconstruction from the pulpit. Uh, but I, I was in an environment in which the co-lead pastor and many of my friends, um, in ministry and outside of ministry, uh, were, were not scared by, um, what I was experiencing Mm -hmm. and, and sort of embraced it. And, you know, today it's, a it's pretty common. Yeah. When I, when I was going through it, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it was, it was still like. Oh my gosh, you're you're a heretic. You're a freak. You going, mm-hmm. you're going directly to hell. Uh, and um, I thought you might be, <laughs> and, uh, but I don't think it's like no, that anymore. I think I think there's a lot a lot of us that have experienced mm-hmm. it enough and and have kind of reconstructed. 
But I, for me, the the piece that is the distinctive between deconstruction and derailing uh, is is the intention or the the genesis of that deconstruction. Um, if you are running away from something, mm. uh, you're going to end up in a place of despair. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are looking for something more true and more authentic, I think you have a higher success rate when it comes to the reconstruction part. My, my friends that are completely outside of faith, even anti-faith at this point, for the most part, they were running from something. Mm. Um, and I don't know, really, I couldn't be specific as to what necessarily they were running from, but they they had a different intention uh, than, than I did when I, when I started out. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about our experiences. So as you're listening, those that are listening or might be asking the question of explain or might want to know what, what does it look like? How does it feel? Help me identify. So I want us to share a little bit about how it felt in our own journeys. I know for me, um, as I began to get more disillusioned with, um, it felt like I was raised with the viewpoint of when scripture says, go make disciples, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the great commission and great commandment, go go make disciples, go to the ends of the earth. I think without even knowing it, there was a filter on my eyes that viewed everyone outside of my faith as a potential project, as a potential somebody to bring into the faith. And it wasn't necessarily, it was, I wanted them to, to know Jesus like I know Jesus, but really I needed to be a good soldier and I needed to be someone that could that could be a winner. And so it was always... Um, especially if you were someone outside the faith that was living in a glaring lifestyle of sin. It was really hard for me to just genuinely just connect with you without the looming pressure hanging over me of, okay, when do we get the dis- to the discussion part about your faith? When do we, when do I invite you over? And when do you finally, we get to kind of have the discussion and when do your eyes kind of wake up and then you thank me for leading you to Jesus and then we get to post about that so that it's all sweet and tidy. And I will say, as that began to shift, I knew it was shifting because my heart just began to break for Mm -hmm. men and women inside, outside the faith in ways it hadn't before. And I just couldn't quit crying when I would think about those that were oppressed, regardless of their lifestyle. And I thought, well, that is, and my heart's been compassionate toward people my whole life, but there was a breaking in my heart that I could not stop. At the same time, there was a disillusionment about, wait, wait a second, I wait, I've got to do the thing. I've got to have that mindset. So for me, that was a big aha that something was shifting. Tell us what you, how you could relate to that, Dave, in your own life. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that because, you know, the, the Christianity of my growing up was super performative, mm-hmm. Yeah. In nature, right? Yeah. You got a gold star for bringing your Bible. You got a gold <laughs> star for memorizing thing. You yep. got a, you know, five gold stars for bringing a, a pagan to church. Yeah. Know? It's like, you know, so there's all of that that's in there, right? And, um, you know, from a very early age, I, the thing that I really disconnected with around 
church and Christianity, at least Western Christianity, was the idea that I was born bad, Mm -hmm. that I was born a sinner, right? And that is a heavily motivational tool uh, to get people to conform, right? That you you mm-hmm. started in a hole, you now have to work your way out of that hole. Mm-hmm. And here's the five things you have to do to work yourself out of that hole. So the first domino for me in my own de- deconstruction was to sort of reconcile and rationalize that, no, I, w- I wasn't born bad. I was made in the image and likeness of Christ, uh, which means I, I'm not starting from a place of deficit. I'm starting just like everybody else starts. Um, so, so that was the first domino. The second domino for me was what you just described. My job as a follower of Jesus is to convert everybody I see, regardless of empathy or compassion or mm-hmm, circumstance mm-hmm. or situation. That the way I'm going to get good with God is by doing that work. And I, I think Christianity has evolved even in our lifetime, sort of a, a, away from that mindset to a certain degree. But that is for me. Um, you know, wh- where it started yeah. and, and being able to see the world uh, through the eyes of Jesus. Um, yeah. It made all the difference in the world for me to, it, it increased my level of empathy. And, and I, I think that's the piece that, that is really hard for people outside the faith to understand about Christianity is we talk about love, but we don't have a lot of empathy mm. uh, in our journey with other people, right? So there's always it's always a means to an end. I'm gonna I'm gonna befriend you to win you, yeah. Uh, in, instead of letting the mystery of Christ work in someone's life, m- maybe because I'm there, or in some cases, in spite of the fact that I'm in their life, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the mystery of Christ can unfold in a person's life, so. Yeah. When you say, go ahead, Dave, keep going. Well, I just want to go back to when you say I wasn't born bad. When you you and I had this discussion and when you said that, it really, it resonated with me. I believe we are born in sin. I believe the sin condition still is clear. It's obvious. But I think to, when we say not born bad, I know for me, the way that takes shape is pressures off in the sense that I'm born dearly loved. I'm born dearly loved and 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 rescued and saved. There's a savior and I and it's a it's a slight shift, but I think if I view men and women, if I'm associating sin and bad, and so because you you struggle with sin like I struggle with sin, then we're born bad. Um I don't, I don't see that in scripture. I see that we're born, I think what scripture says is we're born dead in our sins. We're born, we're born dead. We need to be made alive in Christ. That we're born and we are made in the image of Christ. We're knit together in our mother's wombs. But for me to view men and women as born bad, that can't not shift the way I see them. You know? Yeah, that's right. It can't. And it and, adds pressure. Yeah, it does. It adds pressure to the system. But we also, in in our context, we tend to read the Bible and interpret the Bible Bible through this uh, individualistic mindset, mm-hmm. right? Which that is that's that's not the context the Bible was written in. That's not the intent of the Bible. So we 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 were born into a world filled with sin. I was born unalive in Christ, mm-hmm. but I don't carry the, the imputed sin of Adam. Uh, on my shoulders, the the imputed sin of Adam made the world different. It took it from 
the Garden of Eden to what we have today, from perfect to imperfect, from working to broken. Mm -hmm. And we have to live and navigate in that. And the best way to do that is in and through a relationship uh, with the Savior. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, outside of that, uh, I don't I don't know what else there really is Mm -hmm. uh, in in that mix. Um, Yeah. 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 So again, keep going, Dave, because I wanted to circle back to that. But you were saying one of the things that you said too was, um, it's you're basically you're not my job to fix. You're not you being everyone else besides me that comes into my life is not a project for me. It's not they're not. I don't have to win them to be. It doesn't mean I'm not responsible to love them and to share my life with them and share my faith with them, but. I think that 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 passage of go make disciples, I think on top of that, our culture has placed a lot of burden on that of go win souls, go make disciples. And with that has been this insurmountable pressure that I've seen men and women, especially you and I, we're professional Christians. It's like Mm -hmm. this is our job and our livelihood. And I remember just wanting to, if you'll just pray the prayer with me, I get to go back and share with my pastor that I did this. And it was no longer about the person. It was just about what I needed from them. And I might as well have been selling Amway or something to them. And so that freedom of being lifted has been huge for me. And, And that really has come too through just watching Jesus navigate through the gospels as you watch him in his ministry and you watch him move and have his way with people, you don't feel that pressure coming from him. I don't see that pressure coming from him. Well, yeah, it, it, and you know, we, we may disagree on, on this and that's totally okay with me, but the command is actually go. Uh huh. That's the command. And while you're going along the way by being in someone else's world, mm-hmm. you'll make disciples, mm-hmm. but we skip the go. We say, hey, come, <laughs> come here, come buy this thing that I'm selling, come to this thing that I'm promoting. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, you're going to get made into a disciple. Mm-hmm. We skip the go mm-hmm. altogether. And that that is what Jesus did. Jesus mm-hmm. came and we are to go. Yeah. And, you know, our testimony, our ministry, whatever you want to call it, is cheapened by us not going because we got... Very little skin in the game if we don't go. And what do you mean by that? Define more, because when I hear go, I think, okay, I've got to move to Africa tomorrow. No. What do you mean by no. that? And, and that may be true for some, but what I mean is um, by going into the spaces that other people live, the mm-hmm. the, the, the spaces that people, you know, yeah. um, operate and function in and going to their world mm versus making them or dragging them into your world. Mm, That's so good. Western Christianity is really the only branch of religion that does that, right? I mean, we're really the only people that say, hey, uh, you over there in your life of sin, give up all of that, including your friend group and the things that you do with your free time and come join this thing Mm -hmm. and make new friends Mm -hmm. and do new free time activities and give your money in a new place (laughs) and leave all that other stuff Mm -hmm. behind you. Um, instead of what I believe is the biblical command, which is for us to go uh, and immerse ourselves into. Now, the question that many listeners might come that might 
come to mind is, well, how far? I don't, I don't have to, you know, consume pornographic material in order to minister to somebody who has a porn addiction. That's correct. We don't. <laughs> but are you are you in their space? Are yeah. you in an accepting, um, open-handed experience with people who have those mm-hmm. have those struggles? Mm-hmm. And you know that's an extreme sense, an extreme you know case uh, to to talk about. But but every day we have a choice in which to communicate our going mm-hmm. or our loving, uh, which I think love in it in its action is going. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have every day we have opportunities uh, to do that. Uh, but it but it requires a mind shift, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not a ends to a mean. It's not a performative issue. Mm-hmm. It is you know, out of who God has made me, out of what God has given me, I have the ability to go. Yeah, that's and right. Along the way, I might I might help people find and follow Jesus. Right, which goes back to it all goes back to the relationship we have with Jesus, just our relationship with Jesus. And I think one thing I want to say too, just to to those that are walking it, with us and that are listening today, and and as I've kind of quote deconstructed or whatever, I have found that a lot of my theology hasn't changed or the way I read scripture or interpret biblical truth, that really has stayed pretty much intact. But for me, it's what I'm recognizing is the approach of it of like, oh, wait a second. I was viewing, I was viewing everything through a lens, almost like you guys, if you think about it in your family of origin, when you're raised in a family of origin and you kind of become an adult, and especially when you get married, you begin to see, oh, I was taught to relate this way because of my family of origin. I was taught to resolve conflict this way. In my family, we didn't yell. You just didn't talk about it. You just swept it under the rug. Well, maybe my spouse's family, they yelled about everything and everything was out on the table. And do you understand that? It's like, okay, what, what, what is right and what is working and what is not? But the marriage has stayed intact. But what I'm recognizing is in my family of origin, there's some patterns of behavior and ways of thinking that have needed to fall by the wayside. And for me, my journey of unraveling in my faith was really, I felt like it was a sifting process that God allowed and graciously has led me through. And there are things that I had kind of grabbed onto and ways of thinking and relating to the world and ways of viewing people that needed to fall by the wayside. And in order to do that, I had to kind of let go of it. But what I've recognized in my own heart is that it gave greater space for the love of Jesus to kind of grow in my own heart. And I've got more to give to the world now. Would you, uh, can yeah. you relate to that too, Dave? Yeah, a hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, the, you know, the, the I, I hesitate to use the word theological shift, but the framework shift that mm-hmm. was sort of the third domino to fall for me was seeing the Bible through the lens of, Jesus's role in my redemption, mm. right? So the way that I was taught was that I was bad, the the system is broken, and Jesus was God's plan B to fix all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you read the Bible through that framework, through that lens, um, you, it's not, you see how we got to where we are. Mm-hmm. But if you reverse that order and you recognize that Jesus 
was sent by God to change our perspective of God, not God's perspective of mm-hmm. us. It's a very different book. Yeah. It's an it's a much different book. I start from a place of of accepting the love that was that is freely given to right. me and I move forward towards mm-hmm. a deeper understanding of a loving God versus a hyper judgmental God right. or a God that actually cares about my performance uh, as a Christian or as a mm-hmm. good Christian. Yeah, I when you're when you're saying that something that pops to mind is just the woman caught in adultery. The story in the the Gospels when she's brought to be hung out to dry, really in an effort to trap Jesus. And the thing that Jesus says to her is, "Is no one here to condemn you?" And she said, "No one." And he said, "Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more." And I think for a lot of us, we get that reversed and we think, um, go and sin no more, and then neither now will I condemn you. I won't condemn you now. And so it goes back to that. It's very subtle, but when it when you begin to see it, it's all you can see of this pattern of thinking that it's it's performance-based love. And a lot of the way we were raised in our own homes, you guys, is, you know, and in the world is perform well and you're loved more. And so... Jesus is saying, I don't condemn you. And that love that I'm giving you is the power that you need now to go and sin no more. So you can walk in freedom. Yeah. And that's, that's a great passage. One of my absolute favorite passages in the new Testament, Mm -hmm. um, because it really does show the humanity and the empathy of Christ. And, and it's also a great illustration of the frame or the film that we, we think about because we all we all assume we know what that sin is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think what Jesus is telling her is, don't don't be ashamed of who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't don't carry this burden anymore. Mm-hmm. Show up when the other women get water because mm-hmm. you've been made new. You mm-hmm. are you are made in the in the in the likeness and image of me, mm-hmm. and, and and you're loved by me, and you can you can you can be part of this community. Yeah. Because I take her to be not a woman who was in adultery or necessarily sin. I look at her as a woman who's been abused. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's how Jesus saw her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the the tenderness of Jesus and the power yes. of Jesus coinciding is is and I, I, I yeah, we could go on forever. It's yeah. it's very very powerful. But that's that's our tendency. That's that's our mm-hmm. tendency, and that's the way we were sort of trained up as believers is to see her as an other. And the, the yeah. other aspect of this particular yeah. story is that we are very quick to put ourselves in Jesus's role mm-hmm. with other people. Yeah, like we say, don't sin anymore. Go and don't sin anymore. We're we're the woman <laughs> in the story. Absolutely. Or. <laughs> Let me help you. Here's some flip flops. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I made. I got a whole group of people with all the same T-shirt on, and we are here to rescue you. <laughs> yes, and we're doing that here. I've been. That is who we are too, and and we're doing that because we want to be good soldiers. It's from the intention of I want to be good soldiers, and so I'm not laughing to mock myself or others, but it's just the reality of, I think, culturally in Western Christianity, we have a whole belief system that's full of cracks and holes. And I think that when we begin to see them, 
some for me, I've let go of some of those. Some of my friends are holding on to them tight. And that's okay. It's all we all have our own journey. And so I want to be really clear. The reason I wanted to talk about this today is not to try and convince anyone of anything, but just to have Dave and I kind of talk a little bit more about our own stories. And I'm going to be straight up honest. Dave and I were joking last night, texting about this, going, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We're about to get canceled by anyone, (laughs) anyone that might listen, because it's really an unsteady topic for a lot of people of like, well, what does this mean? Well, what do you believe about this now? And then what do you believe about that now? And here's what I want to say today is I think each of our journeys is personal with the Lord. And the, what I have found through this journey is when I thought I was unraveling and I'm falling and the net is released below me and I don't know where this thing is going to end. What I've recognized is what is true is that no one can snatch me out of the Savior's hand, that I have been held the entire time, the entire time. And I think that that is true for all of us. And I just think take heart for any of us that are that are walking in this journey that feels cloudy and uncertain and somewhat scary, is one you're not alone, um, and it's okay, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I I agree. My my goal in life is not to accelerate people's deconstruction, but to give them permission to have their doubts, that to recognize that the God of the universe is big enough to handle yeah. uh, your doubts and. Scripture was written to a Jewish audience, and a Jewish audience approaches Scripture automatically from a posture of doubt. So it's right. written in a, in such a fashion that we're supposed to wrestle with it. We're, there's supposed to be things we don't understand. And the moment we begin to let go of those things and we go, I know this is true. Maybe, I, maybe it's not as true as I thought it was. The moment we get to that posture, um, things get a little scary, but you're not alone yeah. in that. Yeah, I, I I work with a whole group of emerging leaders um, uh, in this organization called the Post Evangelical Collective, and it is a group of of leaders who find themselves on the other side of deconstruction and, and reconstruction, and find themselves a little outside mm-hmm. of the traditional evangelical framework. And I was was recently at a gathering, and around the table were people who were afraid, who who said to me like. If my church knew I was here, mm. this would be a real problem mm-hmm. for me. So I know mm. what it feels like to be alone and out on the edge. But the God of the universe is, has not brought you here to let you fail. Right. Uh, right. And any question is a good question. Yeah. Um, That's right. And you have to find the right, you have to find people and actively pursuing those people mm-hmm. is the, is a difference maker. Mm-hmm. And I think it, and I would imagine you would agree with this too. I think as I have journeyed forward, I've been carried forward in a lot of it more so than, listen, let me tell you something. There's not like, oh, I feel like I'm unraveling a bit. Let me do these three steps so that I can get unraveled and get get secure again. But I do find that as I'm emerging and coming coming into new season in my own heart and faith is I love him so much more. And I recognize how small I really am, how big he is, how patient he is, how powerful he is. And it um, it excites me to talk about him. It excites me in a way mm-hmm. that is fresh and new. And so that's been really good. Um, Dave, how can we find you? Thank you for spending time with me. I've spent more time with you than I told you I would. So I know you have things you have to get back to. But how can we find you um, in the 
internet space or wherever. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can. What are your handles? <laughs> Uh, the Ashland Group is just ashlandgroup.cc. Ashland Group. A-S-H-L-A-N-D, uh, group.cc. So that's the, my address is there. Is a, you know, my email address is there and all of those uh, sort of things. So that's probably the best place to, okay. to try to reach out to me. Good. Okay. And one of the things I always, I told Dave, I was going to ask him this. I always end our time with this question. Where's, when, can you give us an example in the most recent days when God has shown up, when you've discovered or experienced him in a way that was unexpected or surprising? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I've been a follower of Jesus for, you know, 40 years. So the idea of surprise, uh, you know, is a, is not an easy concept mm-hmm. at this stage of my life to mm-hmm. sort of get and understand. But I see surprises uh, from God and particularly his sovereignty in my kids nearly uh, every day. Um, I have one child who uh, has a rich faith and I have one who has sort of um, a challenged faith. Mm -hmm. The older one has this challenged faith. The younger one has kind of a rich faith. And I um, blame myself Mm. and my chosen career for the oldest struggle. Uh, I blame the fact that I was a pastor for yeah. all of her adult, you know, all of her growing up years um, on some of that. And she saw what I experienced as a pastor. But even to this day, she, uh, I'll, I'll go into her room and there'll be a worship song on and she'll be singing the words mm. of Jesus in the midst of that. Or even as she selects colleges, she's interested in ethics, which is her, her perspective of, you know, religion. It's her, mm-hmm. it's her way of sort of couching religion. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear about both my kids, how they were going to embrace, embrace yeah. faith. And although wildly different, yeah. God still comes through in mm. them um, in big and small ways all the time. And I am so very grateful for that. Yes. Yes. It's one thing to know that you yourself are held by the hand of God, the gracious hand of God, but it's altogether different when you see him holding your kids and you think, mm-hmm. oh, 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 thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel yeah, that right. on a lot of levels. Well, Dave, thank you so much. I could have talked with you forever and I hope this has been helpful, guys. It's really, I feel like we kind of opened the can and kind of started letting, letting the conversation start. And I don't know if it's been a can of worms or if it's been helpful. Um, But I think it's starting a good conversation of at the end of the day, don't be afraid when your faith takes twists and turns and reshapes and it feels like it's falling apart. Um, Jesus, he just holds. I just believe the gospel holds. And I'm grateful for that today. So thanks, Dave. Appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll see you next time on another episode of It's Like This, Conversations with Laura Seifert. Thanks for listening. I hope that you are enjoying It's Like This, Conversations with Laura Seifert, a podcast made possible through the financial partners of Yes Ministries, people just like you. Yes Ministries exist to draw all women closer to Jesus. We do so by providing free Bible studies, online encouragement through our social media platforms and by providing a podcast just like this one to women in all places and all walks of life. That's right. We do all of those things and we offer them free 
so that everyone can draw closer to Jesus without the hindrance of a dollar sign. But to do that, we need partners like you. Giving to God's work draws us closer to Jesus. Giving to God's work draws us closer to His people. And giving to God's work draws us into His story. And if you would like to be drawn in, we would love for you to give and partner with us. You can do so in two different ways. One, through our Venmo account, which is at LSYES. Or you can visit our website online, yesministries.net. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of It's Like This. And most importantly, though, I hope that you find it helpful in your own discovery of God. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating and review. And to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Seifert Yes, which is L-A-U-R-A-S-E-I-F-E-R-T-Y-E-S. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.